Book Three, Chapter Twenty of Letters of Travel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tim Bulkley of BigBible.org. Egypt of the Magicians, nineteen thirteen onwards. A Serpent of the Old Nile. From Letters of Travel by Rudyard Kipling. Modern Cairo is an unkempt place. The streets are dirty and ill constructed, the pavements unswept and often broken, the tramways thrown rather than laid down, the gutters neglected. One expects better than this in a city where the tourist spends so much of every season. Granted that the tourist is a dog, he comes at least with a bone in his mouth, and a bone that many people pick he should have a cleaner kennel. The official answer is that the tourist traffic is a flea-bite compared with the cotton industry. Even so, land in Cairo City must be too valuable to be used for cotton growing. It might just as well be paved or swept. There is some sort of authority supposed to be in charge of municipal matters, but its work is crippled by what is called the capitulations. It was told to me that Everyone in Cairo except the English, who appear to be the mean whites of these parts, has the privilege of appealing to his consul on every conceivable subject from the disposal of a garbage can to that of a corpse, and almost everyone with claims to respectability, and certainly everyone without any, keeps a consul. It follows that there is one consul per superficial metre, ashin or cubit of Ezekiel within the city, and since every consul is zealous for the honour of his country, and not at all above annoying the English on general principles. Municipal progress is slow. Cairo strikes one as unventilated and unsterilized, even when the sun and wind are scouring it together. The tourist talks a good deal, as you may see here, but the permanent European resident does not open his mouth more than is necessary. Sound travels so far across flat water. Besides, the whole position of things, politically and administratively, is essentially false. Here is a country which is not a country, but a longish strip of market garden, nominally in charge of a government which is not a government, but a disconnected satrapy of a half-dead empire, controlled peck-sniffingly by a power, which is not a power but an agency, which agency has been tied up by years, custom and blackmail, into all sorts of intimate relations with six or seven European powers, all with rights and perquisites, none of whose subjects seem directly amenable to any power which at first, second or third hand is supposed to be responsible. That is the barest outline. To fill in the details, if any living man knows them, would be as easy as to explain baseball to an Englishman or the Eton wall game to a citizen of the United States but it is a fascinating play. There are Frenchmen in it, whose logical mind it offends, and they revenge themselves by printing the finance reports and the catalogue of the Bullock Museum in pure French. There are Germans in it, whose demands must be carefully weighed. Not that they can by any means be satisfied, but they serve to block other peoples. There are Russians in it, who do not very much matter at present, but will be heard from later there are italians and greeks in it both rather pleased with themselves just now full of the higher finance and the finer emotions there are egyptian pashas in it 
who come back from Paris at intervals and ask plaintively to whom they are supposed to belong. There is His Highness the Khedive in it, and he must be considered not a little. And there are women in it, up to their eyes. And there are great English cotton and sugar interests, and angry English importers, clamouring to know why they cannot do business on rational lines, or get into the Sudan, which they hold is ripe for development if the administration there would only see reason. Among these conflicting interests and amusements sits and perspires the English official, whose job is irrigating or draining or reclaiming land on behalf of a trifle of ten million people, and he finds himself tripped up by skeins of intrigue and bafflement which may ramify through half a dozen harems and four consulates. All this makes for suavity, toleration, and the blessed habit of not being surprised at anything whatever. Or, oh, so it seemed to me, watching a big dance at one of the hotels. Every European race and breed and half of the United States were represented, but I fancied I could make out three distinct groupings. The tourist, with the steamer trunk creases still across their dear excited backs, the military and officials, sure of their partners beforehand, and saying clearly what ought to be said, and a third contingent, lower-voiced, softer-footed, and keener-eyed than the other two, at ease as gypsies are on their own ground, flinging half-words in local argo over their shoulders at their friends, and understanding on the nod, and moved by springs common to their clan only. For example, a woman was talking flawless English with her partner, an English officer. Just before the next dance began, another woman beckoned to her Eastern fashion, with all four fingers flicking downward. The first woman crossed to a potted palm, the second moved toward it also, till the two drew up, not looking at each other, the plant between them. Then she who had beckoned spoke in a strange tongue at the palm. The first woman, still looking away, answered in the same fashion with a rush of words that rattled like buckshot through the stiff fronds. Her tone had nothing to do with that in which she greeted her new partner, who came up as the music began. The one was a delicious drawl. The other had been a guttural rasp and click of the kitchen and the bazaar. So she moved off, and in a little the second woman disappeared into the crowd. Most likely it was no more than some question of the programme or dress but the prompt feline stealth and coolness of it, the lightning-quick return to and from world-apart civilizations, stuck in my memory. So did the bloodless face of a very old Turk, fresh from some horror assassination in Constantinople, in which he too had been nearly pistoled. But, they said, he had argued quietly over the body of a late colleague, as one to whom death was of no moment, until the hysterical young Turks were abashed, and let him get away to the lights and music of this elegantly appointed hotel. These modern Arabian nights are too hectic for quiet folk. I declined a more rational Cairo, the Arab city where everything is as it was, when Maruf the cobbler fled from Fatima el Ora, amid the jinn of the Adelia Musjid. The craftsmen and merchants sat on their shop boards, a rich mystery of darkness behind them, and narrow gullies were polished to shoulder-height by the mere flux of people, 
shod white men unless they are agriculturalists touch lightly with their hands at most in passing easterns lean and loll and squat and sidle against things as they daunder along when the feet are bare the whole body thinks moreover it is unseemly to buy or to do aught and to be done with it only people with tight-fitting clothes that need no attention have time for that so we of the loose skirt and flowing trousers and slack slipper make full and ample salutations to our friends and redouble them toward our ill-wishers and if it be a question of purchase the stuff must be fingered and appraised with a proverb or so and if it be a fool tourist who thinks he cannot be cheated oh true believers draw near and witness how we shall loot him but i bought nothing the city thrust more treasure upon me than i could carry away it came out of dark alleyways on tawny camels loaded with pots on pattering asses half buried under nets of cut clover in the exquisitely modelled hands of little children scurrying home from the cook-shop with the evening meal chin pressed against the platter's edge and eyes round with responsibility above the pile in the broken lights from jutting rooms overhead where women lie chin between palms looking out of windows not a foot from the floor in every glimpse into every courtyard where the men smoke by the tank in the heaps of rubbish and rotten bricks that flank newly painted houses waiting to be built some day into houses once more in the slap and slide of the heelless red and yellow slippers all around and above all in the mixed delicious smells of frying butter mohammedan bread kebabs leather cooking smoke asafetida peppers and turmeric devils cannot abide the smell of burning turmeric but the right-minded man loves it it stands for evening that brings all home the evening meal the dipping of friendly hands in the dish the one face the drop veil and the big guttering pipe afterwards praised be allah for the diversity of his creatures and for the five advantages of travel and for the glories of the cities of the earth harun al-rashid in roaring baghdad of old never delighted himself to the limits of such a delight as was mine that afternoon it's true that the call to prayer the cadence of some street cries and the cut of some of the garments differed a little from what i had been brought up to but for the rest the shadow of the dial had turned back twenty degrees for me and i found myself saying as perhaps the dead say when they have recovered their wits this is my real world again some men are mohammedan by birth some by training and some by fate but i have never met an englishman yet who hated islam and its people as i have met englishmen who hated some other faiths musulmani awadani as the saying goes where there are mohammedans there is a comprehensible civilization then we came upon a deserted mosque of pitted brick colonnades round a vast courtyard open to the pale sky it was utterly empty except for its own proper spirit and that caught one by the throat as one entered christian churches may compromise with images and side chapels where the unworthy or abashed can traffic with accessible saints islam has but one pulpit and one stark affirmation living or dying one only and where men have repeated that in red-hot belief through centuries the air still shakes to it Now, some say that islam is dying and that nobody cares 
others that if she withers in Europe or and Asia she will renew herself in Africa and will return terrible after certain years at the head of all the nine sons of Ham others dream that the English understand Islam as no one else does and in years to be Islam will admit this and the world will be changed if you go to the mosque al-Azhar the thousand-year-old University of Cairo you will be able to decide for yourself there is nothing to see except many courts cool in hot weather surrounded by cliff-like brick walls men come and go through dark doorways giving on to yet darker cloisters as freely as though the place was a bazaar there are no aggressive educational appliances the students sit on the ground and their teachers instruct them mostly by word of mouth in grammar syntax logic al-hisab which is arithmetic al-jaba wa al-mukabala which is algebra at-tafsir commentaries on the Quran and last and most troublesome al-hadith traditions and yet more commentaries on the law of Islam which leads back like everything to the Quran once again for it is written truly the Quran is none other than a revelation it is a very comprehensive curriculum no man can master it entirely but any can stay there as long as he pleases the university provides commons twenty-five thousand loaves a day I believe and there is always a place to lie down in for such as do not desire a shut room and a bed nothing could be more simple or given certain conditions more effective close upon six hundred professors who represent officially or unofficially every school of thought teach ten or twelve thousand students who draw from every Mohammedan community west and east between Manila and Morocco north and south between Kamchatka and the Malay mosque in, at Cape Town these drift off to become teachers of little schools preachers at mosques students of the law known to millions but rarely to Europeans dreamers devotees or miracle workers in the ends of the earth the man who interested me most was a red-bearded sunk-eyed mullah from the Indian frontier not likely to be last at any distribution of food who stood up like a lean wolfhound among collies in a little assembly at a doorway and there was another mosque sumptuously carpeted and lighted which the Prophet does not approve of where men prayed in the dull mutter that at times mounts and increases under the domes like the boom of drums or the surge of a hot hive before the swarm flings out and round the corner of it one almost ran into our inconspicuous and wholly detached private of infantry his tunic open his cigarette alight leaning against some railings and considering the city below men in forts and citadels and garrisons all the world over go up at twilight as automatically as sheep at sundown to have a last look round they say little and return as silently across the crunching gravel detested by bare feet to their whitewashed rooms and regulated lives one of the men told me he thought well of Cairo it was interesting take it from me he said there's a lot in seeing places because you can remember them afterward he was very right purple and lemon-coloured hazes of dusk and reflected day spread over the throbbing twinkling streets masked the great outline of the citadel and the desert hills 
and conspired to confuse and suggest and evoke memories till Cairo the sorceress cast her proper shape and danced before me in the heart-breaking likeness of every city I had known and loved a little further up the road it was a cruel double magic for in the very hour that my homesick soul had surrendered itself to the dream of the shadow that had turned back upon the dial I realized all the desolate days and homesickness of all the men penned in far-off places among strange sounds and smells End of chapter 20 Recording by Tim Bulkley of BigBible.org